Hello, everyone. I'm Lee. I'm Spencer. And this is the Lasso Lowdown. We're giving the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. Spencer, we're at the end of season one. We did it. Oh, my God. Season two has not debuted. We are at the end of season one, Spencer. We kept our, our compact with the audience. We kept our promise. We have some difficulty. We have pulled it off. How many episodes are we doing in how many days at this point? I think we're on our fourth straight day of recording. Spencer is so sick of me, guys. Oh, my gosh. The <laughs> well, dairy that's just pun- generally true. The dairy puns in day one really got us started on a, on a weird foot. But, yeah, here we are. We're at the end. We're at C- uh, episode 10 of season one, titled The Hope That Kills You. What an mm-hmm. ominous, powerful, affecting title that is. I got to tell you, I was telling you a little bit before we started recording um genuine tears here now i don't want to overstate what that means i'm a crier like anybody who listens to our podcast you can listen to mango talks and other podcasts that we do where we just talk general interest stuff i am on record i'm a crier but i did have two in two different sessions of crying in this episode i'll tell you what they are as you go through the recap but i thought it was a really powerful episode what'd you think I was properly misty. It was a beautifully done episode. It had some powerful moments, some shocking twists, given what the expectations we were building towards. And it sets up for a wonderful three-season arc for the show. Now, I'm sure it'll aim to defy expectations, but I love a show that has planned itself out in such an organized way, and this one seems to be very much fitting in that category. Yeah, I think I got a pretty good idea what the three-season arc is. I feel like Ted just completely laid it out uh, in the final two sentences. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the final two sentences that he says in the in the season but um so the three let, let's go back for the audience so this whole thing that we keep referencing that there's a three season arc jason sudeikis said that in an interview right is that how he we did. know that he did they've said very clearly that this is going to be a three season show that's the story they've got planned that's what they're going to do not going to go any longer than that okay but they could potentially take ted and just throw him somewhere else like plus put him back yes. in wichita state yeah, important clarification there is that it is this story, which is three seasons. Once they, Ted accomplishes whatever he needs to with Richmond, they can do whatever they want with Ted Lasso or the, any of these other characters elsewhere, but this story will be done. I love how you trust Jason Sudeikis, but not like HBO. Because HBO said that we're going to get House of the Dragon in 2022, and you're like, meh, bah. Don't. I, Jason Sudeikis said in an interview three seasons, and you're like, gospel. Three okay, two things. One, Ted Lasso would not lie to me. And two, Jason, <laughs> Jason Sudeikis hasn't abused my trust before. Okay, I guess fair enough. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like we've gotten... I mean, he, they very well could stick to three seasons. Very much. I, 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 I totally understand that. But, like, I know The American Office was supposed to be, like, three or four seasons, and they went nine. Like, I mean, it happened, it's happened before where they just stretch it out when it's successful. And by God, this one's successful. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, let's jump into our let's do it. Let's do a little housekeeping first. Uh, we are wrapping up our season one coverage here on the Lasso Lowdown, but we are going to jump into season two coverage. Season two episodes are going to debut on Fridays, so starting in three days from when we're recording now, the twentieth. Uh, so it'll be on the twenty third of Friday will be uh, the debut of season one, and you will get for ten straight weeks a release of Ted Lasso every Friday. We will be dropping episodes. The following day, maybe the evening or maybe Sunday morning. So you'll get it like Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, Sunday morning. Um, if you don't want to worry about the schedule, if you don't want to have to go chase our podcast and figure out when they've been released or not released, you can always just smash the subscribe button. It'll show up in whatever podcast feed that you look at. And if you like hearing me and Spencer Gab, we have a variety of other podcasts that we do. I referenced one just a second ago. Uh, just go to your favorite podcast platform, type in Mangum Talks. That's the metadata. That's the keyword tag that will pull up all of our podcasts. 
You can even hear us uh, argue about if House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel, is actually going to come out in 2022. We did a whole, <laughs> we did a whole episode devoted to that type of speculation over on the GOT Got Questions podcast feed, where we did the Game of Thrones rewatch. So um, there you go. That that's the housekeeping. Spencer, do you want to jump in our segments? I'm ready. Okay, we have segments galore on this podcast. As always, we do Tea Time with Lee. We do Biscuits with the Boss, where Spencer brings a dessert to eat throughout the podcast. Spencer leads the recap, always tip-top shape every week on the recap. Then we cut to train wreck of the episode. That's going to be tough here. And then we do Sports Center Top 10, where we have 10 things and only 10 on the nose every week. Just 10 things that we noticed about the episode we want to point out. And then we wrap up with Life Lessons from Ted. And Life Lessons from Ted, going to be heavy this week, right? Because it's almost imagine. like life lessons for the episode i mean for, for the season like the episode's really big and heavy but also you know you kind of want to like wrap up the whole season so i got a couple things that maybe maybe put a bow on everything but before we get there let's start with biscuits with the boss spencer what did you bring for us you know how sometimes i don't do any prep even when i'm supposed to do prep and that i just at the last second throw something together uh aware a little aware. <laughs> Has come up in our many years of doing these podcasts. Yeah, a couple uh, of times. This was one of those moments where you, you texted me saying, hey, you ready to go? And I said five minutes. And the moment I pressed send, I went, oh, shit, I was just at the store and I didn't buy a dessert. Okay. So I ran to the pan- I ran to the pantry. I grabbed a whole mess of strawberries and blueberries. I sliced them up. I covered them with whipped cream. And we have a return of the favorite again for just some sweet little enjoying as I go through the episode. All right, there you go. Fruit and and whipped cream. I, you know that's a that's it's almost too healthy for the segment. You know, because like the biscuits that Ted's making, it looks like just like sugar cookies, butter cookies. I mean, those things are pretty heavy that uh, poor old Rebecca's getting every morning. And apparently, according to the actual actress, they're utterly inedible. So maybe they're actually pretty healthy in the sense that she doesn't want to eat them. She says they're not good. What she's eating? She said that that has been her most difficult acting role in all of her career was pretending to like those biscuits they're okay. apparently despicable okay because i'm gonna shit on the actress here a little bit because she did do a interview where she said that she was physically tortured during the game of thrones filming you know remember the scene where she was on the on the nope. um uh, she was on the thing and like the mountain was over top of her and they were waterboarding oh, yeah. her base she said she claimed she got really she really got waterboarded and it was just compl- it was just unprofessional. But I mean, she was just blambasting Game of Thrones. So she said that's the hardest thing she's ever done. Like, poop. Let's throw the other interview out. But uh, okay, that is your dessert. Let me talk about the tea I got for you this week. Please, I saved this one for last purposely. Mm. Um, yeah, this is a tea I really want to talk about with you folks uh, because it is a tea called Lapsang Sushong. It's a type of green tea, but. It has gotten in vogue recently, Spencer. Ah. It has become very, very popular recently. Lapsang Sushang. It's a... Um, well, no, I said it's a green tea. It's a black tea. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, uh, it's traditionally twisted and smoked a little. Um, so they kind of like half burn it a little bit to create like a smoky flavor. Hmm. Um, which can be really, really great if it's minor. If it's an accent to your a tea. subtle touch but all of these tea bros that are out there now who have come to the tea game late uh busting up in here acting like they know about tea can't wait to tell you that they love lapsong sushang and the first thing they want to tell you is they love a smoky tea well let me i'm here to tell you that if you get your lapsong sushang you should get a traditional lapsong sushang don't get anything where the box looks modern <laughs> nothing modern 
Just get something that looks like it was made in the 60s, and that's the Lepsong Sushong you want. I have the exact opposite here for you. This is a tea from a uh, company called Butterfly Brand. It is, you, Spencer, you can see it here. It is super modern packaging. <laughs> it's like black. It looks like almost like a Jackson Pollock drip painting. Is that sitting next to Spam on a shelf in a 1950s supermarket? Uh, no, this is this is actually like more of like a modern packaging, I think. Um, because it's, uh, if you check out the painting, uh, on it. Oh, it, I see it now. Yeah. Yeah. It looks, it looks a little bit more modern. And what I'm telling you is stay away from modern lap songs. It's not good. <laughs> it's overly smoky. You won't be able to taste anything. This particular tea that I have for you, butterfly brand is a stay away. It's not, it's a non-buy from, from Terry. Hmm. Uh, uh, if you want to, to get a good lap song, Sushong, try to get one that is, is not modern, that it doesn't look like a tea bro is going to get. And that is my very first lesson of the episode. I'm sure I'll have many more, <laughs> but that's the first one for you on the lap song, Sushong and the tea bros. I didn't, I didn't realize the worst of the thing is the tea bros, but it sort of reminds me of all these, you know, uh, guys that like to microbrew their own beer and they just dedicate themselves oh mine's got the most hops ever oh mine has just the most of this ever it's like they're competing with each other to produce the most inedible possible product that only they would enjoy so as i've talked about on this podcast i don't i don't drink alcohol anymore I've, I've retired from the game but when i was drinking the lapsong sushan craze is almost like the ipa craze mm-hmm. for beer how like the bros will tell you i like ipa i like it really hoppy but you get a super hoppy ipa you can't taste anything it's like just terrible it's just like yeah. overwhelmingly hoppy that's kind of what's happening in the tea game with lapsong sushong it gets too smoky and uh you can't taste anything and it's kind of like the invoke thing to say uh butterfly brand it's a toss toss it away don't buy it buy something that looks like it was made in the 60s there you go well, it is fun to see now at episode 10 you and ted have finally reached an agreement on tea it took a while it took a lot of effort but you have reached the moment of where you can agree that you have found the pigeon sweat Maybe that's maybe that's why it's he uh, he doesn't like it. Maybe they've been giving him some some really modern lapsong sushong. I would like to hear Ted try to pronounce lapsong sushong. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. No chance. Well, so now that we have our comfort foods, are you ready for the start of the episode? Sure enough, I am. All right. Well, I'll get into the recap then. We begin with Nate arriving at work to find his job has already been done. The shoes are cleaned, the laundry's washed and folded, and there was a guy named Will claiming to be the new clubhouse attendant. Didn't buy this for a second. Now, even when Ted and Higgins walked in, acting like they had no idea what was going on, concerned that Nate may have been let go. Nope, didn't buy it for a second. I- even when Rebecca walks in personally, is there for Nate to lash out, her, lash out at her and call her a shrew. Still weren't buying it? Uh, no, I didn't buy it, but I did, I did think it was a bad look for Nate to immediately start cursing out the boss when he didn't quite know the specifics of what was happening. That might be a life lesson for everybody. If you're a little confused about what your position is in the company, don't cuss the boss until you figure it out. Well, he immediately stops though when she refers to him as Nathaniel, which catches Mm -hmm. him all the crap off guard that she even knows his name. Also should have caught him off guard that she's in the locker room. That, that, that's not something that's happened much before. And she says that she's well, in the locker room a lot this episode. Yeah, very much so. A lot of, a lot of important ways, too. Uh, apparently, she had to know his name and how to correctly spell it, though, to add it on his contract. And as Ted and Higgins and the entire team reveal, Nate has not been fired. Even worse, he's been promoted. All hail Coach Nate. I, uh, 
Interesting that he does this. Um, I feel like it's probably going to get even more bad press that he just hired the kit man. <laughs> but at this point, you know, the last game of the season, him. they're about to get relegated. He may not give a shit. Like, Ted's just all in. He's like, you know what? Let's get a paycheck to my boy before I'm out of here. At least the team is excited. The team rallies around him. There are streamers. There's chanting. They lift and throw him up in the air. And then Ted and Beard walk out to their own operatic singing to reveal a very Nate-esque box with his own coach's whistle inside. Which, according to Ted, is a very sad whistle. And why is it sadly? I I, I didn't write this down. What was it? (laughs) Because it's never been blown before. Which, as Nate points out, it must be the same reason that Colin is sad too. Colin, yeah, there you go. He hit Colin with that one. (laughs) Given all the shit that Colin threw him over the course of probably years beforehand, a little continued scorn thrown his way is probably deserved. Ted formally and regally pronounces the new coach Nate, and then Nate makes the very rookie mistake of blowing a coach's whistle indoors with everyone clustered around him. That this is, I think, the first of three times that Nate either does this or attempts to do this over the course of the episode. I'll tell you the thing about Nate. Nate will get comfortable quick on you. I mean, you had the, you know, um, how you doing, you know, Joey moment with the martini. You had, um, hey, ladies, you know, I know you like shoes in the last episode. And now this, as soon as he got promoted, it took him about 12 seconds to make a joke about Colin's sex life. Like, he's the type of guy where you're (laughs) like, hey, Nate, man. Nate, come over here, man. You're one of the boys. He like immediately will walk over and be like, what's up, motherfuckers? Like he just goes to an 11 real quick. Nate, Nate is the how woo. Yeah. He's like our friend. How woo He's just like, it's really, really <laughs> intimate real quick. You have to kind of watch what you tell him. Uh, then we cut to the, uh, the intro, right? Uh, we do. Uh, two little details beforehand. I'm going to remind everybody not to actually blow whistles indoors next to your friends. The damn coaches whistles get over 120 decibels. That will cause permanent pain and damage. Don't do it. Uh, also, if I wrote this down correctly, this intro started at 1.52. So by one second off, it is not the fastest intro we've had. Fastest going to the intro that we've had. Uh, it That is true. However, um, and you're right, and it was, it was a barn burner. However, um, it'll probably confuse a lot of folks because I believe they're tacking on some advertisements in front of some of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it might might feel like like two minutes and like I don't know, thirty five seconds or something for some people, but you know who knows. All the fun streaming lead in, they have to find a way to add commercials back to our lives, even on streaming TV. Uh, we leave our intro last time. We'll see it now for three more days. And Ted and Beard, actually, it's a fun question. If you had a bet, do you think they're going to change the intro for next season? Yeah, I do. I will be curious to see whether they keep the song, what they change. I, too, anticipate they're going to change it, but I'm kind of apprehensive about it. We'll find out. We leave the intro behind, possibly for the last time ever, because I meant to ask ask you, you know, we may get the same intro in three days, but if you had to bet, do you think they're going to change the intro going into season two? No, you got to keep that intro. That intro rules. Yeah, but... Come on, every show seems to at least alter the intro a little bit. Even Game of Thrones liked to change up what the images were, even if they kept the same song the entire entire way through. Uh, I, I would not use Game of Thrones as an example there, because their intro was like the most intricate, like thought out intro. Like I would, I, I don't know, like think of other, um, think of other sitcoms. I mean, The Office, Parks and Rec, they, they all, they all kept the same one. They so always keep the song. They'll often change the visuals. We'll see. I'm a little bit apprehensive that they're actually going to change it around, but we'll find out. In the episode itself, Ted and Beard are discussing jock itch, or at least the UK, UK terms for it, when Roy walks in and informs Mr. Ted. Mr. Muscle. Not, 
that's what he buys, uh, informs Ted that under the rules, Ted has to pick a new captain. Ted resists, wants it to still be Roy. Roy counters that the captain has to be somebody who's on the pitch. Ted then tries to pass the burden to Roy. Roy declines, and they go back and forth while Beard watches with increasing glee. Ted finishes with the haymaker that, until Roy chooses a successor, his duties will remain unfulfilled. Does a quick magic trick, tosses the armband, and it lands right on top of Roy's head. In Roy's words, while Beard freaks out in the background, this is why it's hard to love you. Roy walks out. Beard points. Uh, Beard and Ted point out to each other that you heard that right. He loves you. Yeah, look at that. Look at the progress that Ted's made. You know, the the throwing the armband and it lands on his head. That's kind of like the little. Have you ever seen the the internet video uh, of the baby who throws the bottle up and it like lands on its bottom? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It would, that, that Beard gave the exact same reaction. It's almost like he watched that video. It was like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna mimic that reaction. With that love fest done, Ted is now trying to prepare the team for the Manchester City game. Ted dum, tries to dum, say, dum. "Oh, indeed." Ted tries to say, "It's just another game. The team is not having that. They're worried they could face relegation. The team could be broken up." Pause. Spencer, can you give us a reminder about relegation? I'm not sure our American audience will understand it. Relegation is a fascinating concept done in the British Premier League and other levels of competitive football over in the UK. Soccer. Uh, Tomato. Uh, (laughs) That if you are the worst team, say in the Premier League, you will actually be dropped down to the league below hand, the Championship League. Meanwhile, the best team in the Championship League will be promoted up to the Premier League. Adding a constant tension about teams to always want to do their best throughout the season. It's a wonderful idea that I wish more sports in the United States did. Or any sports in the United States did. So, just to be clear, if you are, you you have to be in last place to be relegated down. And if mm-hmm. you are in first place of the Champions League, you get relegated up. And that switcheroo happens every single year. Yep. Okay. So there's a constant shifting dynamic. There you go. Thank you. Uh so I said they're worried about the team may be broken up, relegation could happen, and that certain nanas may never talk to them again if that happens in the case of Colin. Could be bad. Uh, Sam asks whether relegation is a possibility in American sports, and Ted just kind of dismisses it. No, no, of course not. And they ask him, well, what happens then to bad teams at the end of the season? And he just says, well, you know, they just kind of go through the motions, listless, playing games in half-empty stadiums. Uh, and in the words Beard... It's dumb, and I couldn't agree more. I'm all into the relegation concept now, having watched it done in, a, in UK sports. Eh. But, you know, you're not, you're not as into it? Well, I mean, I, I relate everything to the NBA, and, like, the, the, the difference is that the NBA doesn't have, like, a lower-tier league that's even remotely close. They have the G League. So if you took the worst team in the NBA and put them in the G League, they'd win every game by 40 points. So you have to – you kind of have to – it's almost like baseball in AAA. You have to have, like, a lower-level um, – like a a level below league that's kind of close for this to work. Now, if you have it, I think it's a great idea. I'm with you. I think, I think it's one of the things that if you create it, it's going to lead to so much more investment in the lower leagues than there currently is that it might start creating that kind of scenario just from the nature of it existing. Maybe, but we can't know until we try it. Uh, Nate is uh, called on and immediately in his excitement blows the whistle once again. (laughs) (sighs) Can't jump. the The excitement cannot be stifled. He's castigated briefly and instead turns to showing the team a video, a motivational video in his words. 
It's Sports Jamie with an absolutely horrible haircut. This is the haircut from a Ken doll. This is a first-term Republican congressman haircut that Jamie apparently now has, which is apparently driven and exists through the means of pomade. If you had to review this, you've reviewed politician haircuts before, what would you say about Jamie's new do? Uh, it's a level below the John Edwards haircut. I'll give you that. <laughs> fair, fair. Okay, first-term Democratic congressman, too. Uh... Jamie's apparently being interviewed by the media and says that, well, he offers some both good and bad commentary about his old team. The good, he'd never speak bad of them. The good lads. Is that good? I mean, he basically just goes, I would never say anything bad about him. That is about it. That's all he's got to offer right there. Best Jamie can do. As for the bad, well, he carried them every match. Roy Kent is a knob. It's nice to have a real manager instead of an American rodeo clown. And that Lasso sent him away and they're now facing relegation, which is instant karma. And he gets to put the, and I quote, the last nail in the ashes. Well, let's wait a second. Let's get the quote right. Because he says, I'll, I'll get to put the final nail in the ashes, instant caramel. So he fucks up twice real quick. <laughs> like such he a tries. Kid. He such tries. A kid. He read a book. He had these prepared. Just got him wrong when he tried. The He's baby. getting there. He's learning. Uh, the team thoroughly having heard enough. Isaac apparently picks up the chair he's sitting in and wrecks the screen from a distance. Let's go, Isaac. Shout out to Isaac. This shocks the room, but notably, Roy very much approves. Yeah, absolutely. Would you would you agree that the clear goal of Nate here was to get the team angry? Yeah, it worked brilliantly. Yeah, this is a this is a clear tactic on Nate's part, even though he plays off like he's surprised too, but it definitely worked. The team is very much energized to well, shove it in Jamie's smug little face. We cut from there to the pub, where Ted and Beard are discussing the different football levels, kind of like we just did. There's the Premier League at the top, and then there's, oddly, the Championship League underneath that. Now, hold on one second. If you come in last place in the Premier League, you get to play in the Championship? <laughs> they invented irony over here, too. <laughs> this town has a weird way with words, don't you? I mean, uh, come on, y'all. It's 2020. Let's just call them cigarettes. Yeah, let's not go into that one. <laughs> what a very, good line, Very though. funny. It's very funny. <laughs> very funny. Even Beard just flinches away from that line. Meanwhile, the fan trio walk up and offer what I think would be fair to say is the closest thing they have ever offered to united kind words to Ted. It's, it's you know, it's legitimately heartwarming. These guys are really come over to say, you know, you tried hard. We enjoyed having you, even though you sucked. And you did suck, but you still tried hard. I mentioned last episode that one of the cool things about this show is you kind of feel like there are other shows happening that you just kind of get a small glimpse of based on the timeline that we're following. I feel like there's a whole like six episode like mini series about the odyssey that is these fans (laughs) because they are the ups and downs. The roller coaster these guys are on is hilarious. I mean, one minute they're screaming, ah, you fucking idiot. The next minute, you know, Ted, I know you did the best you could, you know. I, I love that they've had something resembling a character arc over the course of the season. It's been one at a time coming around to being nice and polite to Ted, and they finally got most of the way here, that most of the way there this episode. But it seems that they are just absolutely convinced that there's nothing that can be done. The team, and for that matter, Ted, are certainly doomed. Ted attempts to offer them hope, but May notes that living in the UK, you realize it's the hope that kills you. And we will get this line more than a few times, including in the title card of this episode. Ted, hearing this, has a fire lit under him. 
and calls Beard to, you know, tells Beard to call Nate because they've got some late night strategizing to do. Coach Three Nate. Them, Coach Nate. I need to say it correctly. The title matters. They meet, and I think it's Ted's apartment, and they really discuss what they need to do to stay in the Premier League. Of course, if they win, they can stay. Also, if they tie under legitimately odd circumstances, if Crystal Palace beats Norwich by six like that would ever happen, Ted rejects even the concept of ties, those on what basically resembles a religious level. He's God herself has rejected this concept in his mind and tries to get them inspired that they can win this. Nearly too inspired in Nate's case, because he, for the love of Meghan Markle, nearly blows that damn whistle again. Ted rapidly doing everything he can to stop him and his neighbor's almost immediate outburst. I do want to point out that Ted says, if God had wanted Gameston and Atashi wouldn't have invented numbers. Ted hammering again and again in this episode. Doesn't care about the potential for a tie. He wants no part of that. He would mm-hmm. never, never care about that. He would never root for it under any circumstances. Absolutely not. You cannot imagine any course of events that would get him turned around the idea of having a tie being an acceptable outcome. Yep. Uh, Ted tries to get Nate focused on developing a strategy to win, but Nate thinks it's hopeless. Yeah. Ted legitimately appears to get both shocked and pissed to hear Nate say this. Well, I would be too. I mean, runs off. What the hell, dude? Like, you can't like, is that your, that's your best coaching strategy? It's hopeless. We're going to lose. Let's all go home. Come on, Nate. What? It seems that Beard's seen this before because he just kind of sighs and leans back in his chair while Ted runs off scrounging something, it appears, and turns to Nate and asks whether, it, 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 as it appears, that does he wear the same outfit all the time? <laughs> I love that kind of meta question to ask there, to which Nate reveals, no, no, he has three of them, apparently. Ted returns with one of what is apparently several believe signs that are hanging around his house. This one from his bathroom mirror. And again tries to inspire Nate with the concept and philosophy that they've driven this entire team by all season. Beard, however, agrees with Nate, and only belief can, belief can only take them so far, and Ted legitimately yells at both of them for their pessimism and for being negative Nellies. He should. Nelsons. I'm, I'm so on Ted's side here. I mean, you are, you're, you're being paid to coach this team. The game has not happened yet. You're just going to sit there and say, well, it's over? Like, I, we can't win? I mean, I, I would not tolerate that either. And this is where Ted is the useful one here, because all data, all reason, all math and statistics would say they have no chance in hell. But Ted doesn't care about any of those. That's not the kind of coach he is or the focus he offers. You play to win the game. Ted arrives for Biscuits with the Boss, and Rebecca immediately notices that Ted has a cloud hanging over his head. This is one of the more depressive fogs we've ever seen Ted in, I think, the entire season. Not good. And he tells Rebecca that, you know what? you should have picked a soccer coach. And that if we lose on Sunday, you do what's best for the club. Metaphor- metaphorically going through several different ways that she can murder him, ending on, or, you know, just fire me. That works too. Yep. Rebecca notes that it's true that Ted knows nothing about the sport, which Ted immediately agrees about, but brings out a saying from Dutch football, which immediately confuses Ted, but he works his way through it, that every disadvantage has its advantage. And that Ted, he sees the game differently. And, empower, and empowers him to cause complete and utter confusion on the pitch. Ted is legitimately inspired. A fire is lit under this man. He gets an idea that creating chaos may actually work, and he runs happily for the door and knocks the ever-loving crap out of his head on the doorframe. Like, ow. Uh, to the point I almost wondered whether that was scripted or not. I assume it was, but who could ever say? 
He's a really good physical actor. I mean, he's no Alfonso Rivera, but he's a good of physical actor. I, I don't think Jason Sudeikis or Ted Lasso would ever claim to reach that kind of level, but they do the best they can. The new game plan, apparently, though, is trick plays, or Ooh. as they refer to in the UK. Did you write down what it was? Um, no. Elaborate set pieces. Ugh. God help British English. No wonder I didn't write that down. <laughs> Their goal is to rain chaos on their opponents and stun them like, according to Ted, the lava did to those poor folks at Pompeii. I don't know what history book Ted read, but apparently it just stunned them. Let's let him keep that fiction. Yeah, they'll come back. You almost like a, like a Ted Williams' head. Uh, sure, yes, absolutely. Uh, he invites the team <laughs> to, name, to name and call out every trick play they've ever used or ever heard of. I've got them. Go through a list. You got them here? Go. I got them all. <laughs> Please. Of course right. you wrote them down. Uh, I'm going to say them all, and then you tell me which one you think is the funniest name. Okay. Sandman. Pepper Shakers. Beckham's Todger. Midnight Poutine. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. The Broken Taps. I think Man City will leak a lot of goals from it. Loki's Toboggan. The Upside Down Taxi. Hadrian's Wall. Dirty Martini. I'll take three of those. And the Lasso Special. I'm going to go with one, not because the name is that funny, but just because of what Beard says about it. Midnight Poutine. That, as in Beard's words, because it's coming off Beckham's Todger, which Ted doesn't get, but he assumes poutine is dirty, to which Beard responds, it's not dirty, it's just super Canadian. <laughs> I think I like Loki's Toboggan. That one's really <laughs> random. That was a good one, too. It's a, great, it's a great collection. I love that all the team members that we know and a lot of guys that we don't even know the names of are all chimed in with options here. They've got a whole collection Including, as you know, to the end, Ted with his own The Lasso Special. I will. I do want to point out my favorite trick play of all time. Please? It's the greatest trick play in the history of history. The annexation of Puerto Rico. Shout out Little Giants. I fucking knew you were going to go with that one. The moment we say we're saying trick plays, it was like, oh, Lee's going to think I want He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. Oh, fuck, he did. <laughs> annexation of Puerto Rico. Just have the center run it in. They'll never see it coming. Perfect. <laughs> Madden helped. Uh... Ted inspires the team that they're going to learn these plays and they're going to hit Man City with the chaos hammer come Ooh. on Sunday. Uh, meanwhile, Jamie is apparently at the barber like just a regular barber. Jamie, man of the people, gets his haircut in just a corner place. Nice. Getting apparently added to his horrible haircut when the plane fan, if you appear on this show, you're going to return. The fan from the plane who likes ussies is back. Wow, good deep cut. I didn't make that connection. That's, that's very yeah. good. He comes up to Jamie, gets another ussy, which confuses the crap out of Jamie, apparently, and comments how getting dumped by Richmond must have been super embarrassing to him. Jamie tries to brush it off and just blames Lasso, but the fanboy points out that Ted has actually been saying a lot of nice things about him lately. Yeah, Ted likes you, dude. Uh, pulls out his phone and shows Jamie, I guess, the interview from the previous day uh, Ted delivered, where Trent asks whether there's bad blood between the two, but Ted says no, that Jamie's a special young man. He's got talent for days, he works hard, he's got a great jawline that resembles the cliffs of Dover, and the Ted will always be rooting for him. The fan refers to this as classic mind games, aren't it? And Jamie tells him to fuck off, tosses his phone casually across the room, the asshole Jamie is still here. Yeah, no, and Jamie, the fan's like, whoa! <laughs> That's such a normal reaction. Why it. did you do that? Uh, and Jamie immediately texts Keeley and asks whether he can come over to talk. We get the little responding message from Keeley, and we cut... 
Wait, did out. you see the previous text? Because they, they show you the iPhone, Apple show. They show you the iPhone screen and you see the previous text that he had with Keeley, the previous Didn't exchange. It was, are you still up? Um, eggplant emoji, squirted emoji, squirrel emoji. <laughs> and her response, really? Three question marks. <laughs> Pretty good. Huh? Did not uh, notice that. Wish I had. Love the consistency. Uh, Keely apparently invited him to come over. And Jamie arrives at her door with freshly bought coffee and is greeted by Roy in socks and underwear. Because apparently Keely did not feel the need or consciously chose not to tell either of them that this was going to happen. Oh, Roy. Yeah. Jamie's coming over. Or she didn't tell Jamie that Roy was over either. I honestly feel this is kind of a douche move on Keely's part. I, Sure, it happens, I guess. How dare you say that about my girl? This, her having both of them over at the same time helps neither of them. I don't know why she does it other than an off chance they're going to mend fences. God, if that's the case, that's a bad call. Uh, both of them apparently brought coffee for Roy's homemade. Jamie's bought. And in a wonderful fashion, she opens the lid on Jamie's and pours it into Roy's and starts drinking. <laughs> she asks Jamie what it is exactly he came to talk about. And that Jamie claims that Ted is out to get him with mind games. Jamie says that Ted doesn't like him, and uh, Keeley steps up and says, no, Ted does, but Jamie casually insults Keeley and just ignores her advice, to which Roy kind of barks at him in defense of Keeley. The two of them have a bit of a standoff, but Keeley gets Jamie focused back on the idea that, nah, 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 get away from the thought that everyone is in your life is out to get you. Other than Roy. Roy is totally out to get you. As Roy he says, I am. Right there. <laughs> Roy, Roy never wanted to bury the lead. Need you to understand, I will murder you in your sleep someday. Just laying that out there. Jamie does not want to talk in front of Roy. Can you blame him? Again, weird call, Keely, by do arranging this as she did. And leaves with a final insult to Roy that he will enjoy watching him. He will hope he enjoys watching the game from the bench. Uh, Roy well, Jamie then, tells Keeley that uh, she she's uh, when she's done feeding mushy peas to his to that old fart to call him, and uh, the the scene ends with uh, Roy, who is getting progressively funnier. I never would have never yes, would have thought in the first two episodes that he actually is like witty and like snappy. But he goes, well, now I just want mushy peas, which actually gets a like a what looks like a very genuine laugh out of Keeley. Yeah, from the look that Roy was getting her, Keeley thought he was going to blow up on her for you yep. know, arranging this the way she did. Yep. Mm -hmm. Our Roy has matured too over the season, and not just in age. Now I just want mushy peas. Uh, Ted, meanwhile, is talking with his son on presumably Skype, maybe Zoom. Who could say? At night, and they're discussing the very different role that a soccer coach plays compared to the football coach that he was. That he really has a lot less control. He really just kind of sets the plays, trains them up. And then just kind of hopes that they listen and remember what he taught them, that maybe they'll make the right decisions on their own. As he expresses, it kind of seems like it's just realizing it for the first time himself, kind of similar to being a dad. This is a remarkable little philosophical moment. It would be a great moment between father and son. But Ted's son utterly checked out halfway through to draw robots. And to be fair, he drew a pretty awesome robot. Fair. Meanwhile, after this has happened, the Richmond faithful are gathering. Let's Still, go! It's game night! I'm presuming it's the next day, probably. Uh, Richmond faithful are gathering. They're still hopeful and loyal in spite of it all. 
And up in the up in the owner's box, Rebecca and Keeley are discussing about caring about football. From Rebecca's perspective, it's so much more stressful when you actually have to care and actually do care now. I want to point out something. This is the worst owner's box I've ever seen. It's basically just a separate part of the bleachers. That's not what an owner's box is. An owner's box is like, you know, it's like a box, like up into, like, it's like a couch and it's like enclosed and heated and there's usually food. This is the worst. I like, come on, Rebecca, you gotta, you gotta come a little bit more correct. No, 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 no. Rupert, Rupert was a man of the people. He wanted to be among the people. You don't want to isolate yourself in an ivory tower. You're a fan just as they are. And so the owner's box, while a little bit cordoned off, is among the rest of the fans celebrating with all the rest of them. Ah, I think it looks cheap. It certainly is going to hurt on their sales. They can't, they, I'm sure they can't sell those tickets for much more than everybody, everybody else. Uh, as I said, Rebecca's really stressing out that she cares now. Keely Manor reveals that she's been kind of just faking caring for years. She doesn't honestly care that much about football, which is fascinating given how much she's lived and breathed this sport for, what she said before, 20 years? But she knows how to act. That was all sides, you turnip! <laughs> She sells it well. Professional model we got right there. Uh, but today at least, today at least she's found very much a reason to care. She yeah. looks down at Roy. Not going to be not, not going to be leading the team on the pitch today, but still very much part of it. Uh, while this is happening, Arlo White and Chris Powell, as said before, professional announcers in real life, mm-hmm. are providing commentary on the game and describe it as David meets Goliath if David forgot to put his stone in his slingshot. Ow. Rupert and Bex are watching inside Rupert's apartment. The trio of fans are enjoying free shots from May, but no way group hugs. And Higgins and his family arrive in the owner's box, having brought their oldest son a friggin' priest, apparently. But a cool one, because his parents had him out of wedlock. Is that how it works? I didn't know that was the dividing line between cool priest and not cool priest. I don't know. Most priest stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm from, like, the South, so I'm used to Baptist preachers. Like, and in comparison, priests are usually pretty cool. Indeed. Roy comes over to Isaac while they're in the locker room and christens him the new captain, encouraging him to never stop breaking TVs. Put it on a t-shirt! Never stop breaking TVs, Roy Kent. Such a wonderful Put it on a t-shirt. Beard and Nate are over at the whiteboard mapping out all the trick plays when Ted comes up and he focuses the team. He returns that line he's kept on hearing, that it's the hope that kills you. It's not a phrase he likes or agrees with, thinking instead that it's the lack of hope that gets you. He believes in hope. He believes in belief. And he offers his own saying slash question from America. Do you believe in miracles? Answer that for yourself. But if you do, circle up. Join hands. All the team is inspired. All the team gets up and join hands. And though Ted turns to Roy and expects him to, you know, do his captain duties, Roy, having handed the baton and little armband Isaac, offers him the chance to, for the first time, act as the team captain. Scale of 10 or 12, man, how does Isaac do in his first round of captain duties? <laughs> I'm going to give him a nine. This is uh, at least memorable. Richmond on 12. One, two. He skips a number. Do you realize? He you skips remember? eight. He yeah, skips he eight. Does. Yeah. <laughs> was, was that accidental on his part? Or is he just realizing how long this was going? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's hard to tell. I, I, I would say, you know, he... Both butchers and succeeds uniquely at his first at his first job as a captain. Well, they're still with him when he gets to 12. Absolutely. They're all energized. They're all with him. This team loves each other. On the pitch itself, to my shock, the first time I watched this, Jamie's starting. Now, 
We'd heard before that Jamie was barely even getting any playtime in garbage hours for Man City. Do we interpret this to mean he's just gotten that much better, or that Man City's kind of playing their second team because this game doesn't matter as much? Well, we heard tangentially in the last couple episodes that he had kind of come on for Man City, that he had been playing better. Because the, the, the garbage time goal was like three, three or four episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like when he first got there, we heard that. Um, I think it was that, that scene with Keeley where it looked like they were doing a drug deal. Um, but, yeah, yeah. but later on we, we do kind of hear out in the ether a few times that he had been doing better so i think he's just kind of progressing through man city no no it was when he shows up at her apartment with the half talking about the half chubby got and she you know le- learns the different ways you actually ask for sex that was that was when that scene happened yeah it could be but uh either way i think uh, if i'm remembering correctly we do hear that he's he's doing a little bit better um, we have heard that we've heard that repeatedly particularly whenever roy's been watching the news finding out about hearing the commentators talk about how badly he's been doing yeah so it's Perfectly possible he's gotten a lot better, and they probably assume he's got a fire under him just to be able to play and shove it in the faces of his old team. That may be another factor in it, too. A good strategic decision. Well, also, you know, that the, the win may not mean anything for them. It's the last game of the season. They're probably firmly in whatever playoff or whatever they have in this weird-ass fucking backwards <laughs> league that they have. Uh, it, like, So, I don't know. They might be playing their, their bench guys. These are the options we have laid out. Any of them could be the case. All we know for certain is Jamie is there. He takes the time to taunt Roy because of course he does, but Ted steps up into camera and immediately wishes Jamie well and encourages him on. To which Jamie is still baffled and confused and refers to these once again as friggin' mind games. The game begins. And as we see over the course of it, Richmond's doing really well against the best team in the league. Yep. They're holding their own. They're keeping it tied through, ultimately, the half. Uh, Ted still doesn't understand what the hell offsides is. Luckily, Beard has a description that seems directly driven from a bar table with condiments. Uh, one if- thing, um, Jamie, so it, when the when a game first starts, Man City gets possession, and Jamie has a straightaway, he has like a breakout, and he uh, he takes the shot himself, and, and the announcer very uh, pointedly said he had the open man, he takes it himself, and he misses. So just one thing that happens. As we see repeatedly, Zoro is doing remarkably well as a goalie throughout this entire game, and it shows from what we see of it. Yeah, sticky hands, Zoro. Yeah. Uh, they start using a few of their trick plays during the course of the first half, including a corner kick by Danny where the Sandman damn near works. And it's impressive. This is just a fun play to watch play out. Yeah, it's basically like a t- like a two-dummy fake, right? It, it almost tricks up the team. Tricks up everybody basically but the goalie, and even then it's just kind of luck that it goes to him. Trick me up. The announcers are shocked. Everybody, Everybody's you know caught off guard that they're throwing out these trick plays at the 11th hour. And... The game ends up tied at the half. The commentators are legitimately impressed at Richmond's play. They compliment Zoro for his stellar work as goalie. And in the locker room, the coaches have returned once again to debating strategy. We don't know exactly at this point what they're arguing, only that Ted decides he's going to follow his gut and do it. Sam calls out to ask how Crystal Palace is doing, what's the score in that game. To which Ted, overhearing... Put no. the kibosh on that quick. We ain't playing for no tie. Ain't nobody kissing their sister. Where does that expression come from? I've heard it so many... It's a, it, it is foundational American English. I have no idea the origins of that phrase. The tie's like kissing your sister? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just probably... Well, some, just, some, some, guy, a, some guy was probably like drunk at a high school football game and said it. 
it is a bad thing to happen, so I can understand why the expression kissing your sister comes from. I'm curious to know where its original origins are, though. The team is baffled by this, and Ted realizes that's another one of those expressions that probably for the best have not crossed the pond. Yeah, like uh, make an ass out of you and me. That one, too. That one, I like that one, though. I, I think that one's great. Yeah. Uh, Ted reveals that they're determined, they're going to win, and Roy will be starting the second half. Oh, wow. Yes. Woo! That's is the it, cheers from the, from the Lee household right there. Is it fair to say, though, that this is a controversial call? Maybe, maybe it is. I mean, it's it's a gutsy call. I mean, you, one could argue maybe that, um, you know, because Roy is older and he doesn't have a lot left in the tank, that maybe limiting him to just one half, you're going to get the best out of him, um, you know, reducing his minutes. That might be like a strategic thing. I mean, obviously what we're exposed to, it does seem that he's making this call like emotionally. It's not, it doesn't seem like he's making it like from a, from a soccer X's and O's perspective. I, I very much agree he's making an emotional decision and the commentators really kind of comp- call it out that, Richmond's been struggling with Manchester City's speed, and so they put in Roy Kent, who is charitably very slow in his old age. It's an odd call by the numbers, but Ted has never given a damn about those. How do you feel about the fact that, like, Roy is probably, like, our age? Old. Yeah. Very old. It makes me feel weird. Very run down. I feel like I'm in the prime. I, I, I think of the noises I make when I stand up from a chair, and it just makes me sad. Uh... Man City, as we're watching the half, scores and what apparently is a very controversial penalty kick. Fan base were not in agreement that there was any there was any penalty at all. And as things go from there, Jamie very, very quickly gets on a breakaway. He is away from everybody else. It's an easy score when Roy Kent, in old form, that fire in his belly, running like he's pissed off at the grass... Catches up with Jamie, gets a clean hit on the ball, and knocks it knocks it clear off away from him. Roy Kent, Roy Kent, he's there, he's there, he's every fucking where. Roy Kent, Roy Kent, man, new favorite song. That's better than uh, Jamie Tart. No, no, no. You're allowed to sing one of those two, and I know which one I prefer. Roy Kent, thank you. Roy Kent, wait, that's a really good song. It's great. The fans are in arms, up and cheering. This is really, I think, is this, is this the first time we've actually heard this before? Yeah, the, the, absolutely. It's the first time we've heard it. And, and the, you know, the announcers give you a little bit of backstory that apparently, like, the, I think they say something like the song that's been sung through the Premier League for ages. So it's obviously like Roy Kent fans have this song, uh, which is a very British thing, right? To have like some mm. chant that you do for a player that you like. Uh, first time we've heard it all year and it's like obviously takes Roy by surprise right because he's he's clearly really hurt his knee on this play and he's mm-hmm. like on the ground and Sam tells him st- like basically it's the reverse it's the repeat of, of the start uh, yeah, yeah where where Sam wasn't hurt and Roy told him to stay down and milk it Sam tells him to stay down even though he is hurt and listen and then yeah. he hears the Roy can't Roy can't man that's the, the and that ladies and gentlemen is the first time I cried during the episode it is an absolutely wonderful scene. It is heartrending to see him hurt there, struggling, wanting to stand, determined to walk off. I love the line by the announcers that Roy Kent would never be carried off in a stretcher. Yeah, not something that's ever going to happen. That's sort of like that, like the old grizzled veteran who's seen it all, 
mm-hmm. one last play and then he walks off the field. Look, I've watched enough sports that that just hits me right in the heart. Yeah, walks into the light of the locker room like he's walking to the pearly gates, the lights echoing around him, like shining around him. It's it's a hell of a moment. The fan base cheering, him doing him giving the nod to Ted, giving the slight clap for the fans. It's an incredible moment. The only thing that takes away, and as he's going, he physically hands the metaphorical baton in the form of the band to Isaac, having surrendered his role as a captain. It's a farewell, though. As the announcers say, with his age, with this kind of injury, this is likely the last time Roy will put on his cleats. How do you know what kind of injury he has? That's a little bit of a stretch. It's a little bit of a stretch, but I think they know Roy. That unless this man is actually hurt to the point he's struggling to walk, Roy will play through the pain. It's friggin' Roy Kent. If he's actually feeling the need to leave the pitch, this must be bad. They, they don't know. That's just a little bit it's, of Hollywood going on there. It's, they're saying it for the audience, dude. You understand what they're doing. Willful suspension of disbelief. It's a good thing. I'm allowed to criticize it. No, you're not. That's my job. Uh <laughs> That's Roy says supposed to be the positive one of the podcast here. I'm what sure. the hell is happening oh, right know. now? Yeah, no, it's great. Everything's great. It's great. Thank stuff. you. Uh, Roy sits alone in the locker room, and Keeley goes to see him, uh, and he's clearly in tears. He's fighting back tears, and he tries to get her to leave. He says whatever he needs to to get her out of the room. It's not allowed. He doesn't want her to be there, but she knows very much what he needs right now: a hug and someone just present. Because this is a horrible moment to be alone literally a shoulder to cry on he tells her i told you you have to get out i mean it stay the fuck away from me and she does not hesitate she doesn't even not even a hiccup in her gait and walks right next to him and he he literally puts his head on her shoulder and starts to cry second cry of the game from lee they were back to back the roy kent got me this the roy kent uh narrative is the one that really tugged at my heart this episode It's an amazing. It's an amazing character that occurred in Roy Kent. He may actually be my favorite character of the show. Yeah, he might be too. Episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I also like that he processes emotions like an injured animal, like an injured dog. Of where his first reaction immediately when he's actually hurt, when he's actually either physically or emotionally hurt, is to bite at somebody that comes to help him. Yep. But you get a little bit close to him, he will cuddle up on you the way he does. Meanwhile, phones throughout the station are getting notified uh, at the stadium are getting notifications like. 25,000 of them are all getting notifications at the same time. What exactly are they getting news of, Lee? Oh my god, ladies and gentlemen, the unthinkable has happened. Crystal Palace has won six to nothing. All they need is a tie. Now, I will say this. I have been, so uh, I've talked about before, I'm a UNC basketball fan. Um, If you know nothing about college basketball, you know that UNC and Duke are big rivals. I have been in the stadium in the in the smith center watching Mm -hmm. a unc basketball game when duke lost and i have seen this same thing that happened where everyone's looking at their phones and you're looking around like what the what what's going on what's going on did the president die what happened then you start hearing like the little chirps like duke lost duke lost duke lost and then like they throw it on the big screen so this is exactly what happened here it's it's actually a pretty cool phenomenon when you're in this when you're in stands and you're like oh my god this has to be good news because everyone's like excited looking at their phones what is it what is it it's a great real moment. Everybody's energized. Ted, for the first time in his life, has found the emotional value of a tie and is committed. This is what they need. This is what they can do. They're only one behind. It could happen. And they that's get... what I wanted to talk about. That heel turn from Ted made me just belly laugh where he's like, wait a second, tie. All we need is a tie. It's like, wait a second, Ted. You have crapped on ties for 10 episodes. And now all of a sudden he's like, fellas, 
Let's do it. Let's tie. Let's kiss our sister. <laughs> please don't put it that way. Please. Uh, everybody's down to this. They are committed. The tie could happen. They've got three minutes of added time. Richmond, uh, Richard Richard sells an injury, which I love the show poking fun of that tendency in soccer to just have players just legitimately fake injuries for the, for the needs of the team. Yes. Happens a lot. It, a whole lot. And he buys them the time necessary for Isaac to call out, it's time to do the lasso special. Here we go. Ted's shocked and overjoyed. Everyone is utterly baffled as the team assembles in an American football formation and proceed just like a football play. They're yelling out numbers and colors. British fans are in abject confusion. No one knows what's happening. Man City is still arguing a call. What on earth could be happening right now? A song is playing entitled American Football by Marcus Mumford and Tim Howe, and it's great. It gets me all kinds of jazz, and it sets the sets the perfect tension for the scene. Zorro does a beautiful Hail Mary kick that goes all the way down to a wide-open Sam. He passes it across the pitch to an open Danny, who does a beautiful flying bicycle kick to drive it into the goal and tie the game. And everyone goes wild. It is nuts. Everyone's going insane. This is beyond anything that they could ever hope for. The crowd is united. The fans are united. All of the people watching the show are content that this is how the season is going to wrap up. They held off relegation. They're near the bottom, but they survived. But it's the hope that kills you. I love that Beard sees it first. Beard, of course. I love that they give that character that moment where Beard is the first one to go, hold on. Like, he, he sees it on the field first. I thought that was great. Jamie has gotten the ball and he is driving down the pitch with very little in way to stop him. Too much celebration. He gets down to the goal. It's Jamie. Of course he's going to take the shot. Of course he's going to take the shot. Everyone's defending for Jamie to take the shot. But Ted's lessons ringing in his ears. He does the extra pass to a wide open player who hammers it past Zorro. Zorro, who did so well the entire game, you can't blame him for this. No, uh-uh. not Zorro's fault. Zorro. And with seconds left in the game, Manchester City comes up 2-1. And the whistle blows, and the crowd is silenced. And now, the season is... Now, the little bit of soccer that I've watched, I have seen this happen. Where the score, the team is a little bit too hyped. Yep. They get out of defensive position, and there's an immediate attack. Like, I, I've seen, I have seen that before. And it happens also it happens in um, uh, hockey sometimes, too. Mm-hmm. I, and if, if it wasn't for Jamie Tart and his talents... Probably still wouldn't happen. The announcers thought it was done. That Man City had nowhere near enough time to come back and catch up with this. But Jamie Tart is as skilled as they say he is. The, yeah, he deserves it there, the bastard. Uh, the crowd is silenced. You'll Never Walk Alone by Marcus Mumford is playing. And Richmond is out of the Premier League. Everyone's Adios. hopes and dreams are crushed. The British philosophy is endorsed. And Ted has nothing to say to the journalists other than that it was a tough loss and that all congratulations to Man City, their players, and their coach. Bex leaves Rupert alone, who's been celebrating along with all the other fans throughout the entire game, clearly as depressed and dejected as all the rest of them are, with his framed uniform of the team on the wall back there behind him. Michelle, Ted's ex, texts him that Henry just finished his robot and that, regardless of what happened, they're proud of him. And... Uh... I, I kind of called this a little bit. I yeah, think it's did. not quite to where no, I called it. No, it is not. <laughs> but I think we got the little breadcrumbs of it. Because no. in a previous episode, no. I agree with you, but previous episode, I said that Michelle 
while you can understand how Ted can be a bit of a pill, is going to regret leaving Ted uh, because he is such a great guy. And uh, this this is not her saying I regret. This, this is not that. I'm just saying it might be a breadcrumb to it. I regret so much getting you into shipping. You're just shipping everyone now. I'm everyone. shipping people in, out. I'm doing all kinds of shipping. We're going to start cargo shipping. I want to explain what that concept is later. It's just sad to see this happen to a person. Uh, at least Michelle's message, whatever its intent, gives a br- bit of a brief smile on Ted's face. Yeah. And he's walking alone past the walker room. He looks in, looks to the left, and there's Jamie Tart sitting alone in a training room, looking oddly dejected and alone. Ted, of course, being Ted, goes in to say hi and check in on how Jamie's doing before quickly realizing as a shoe flies past Jamie's head that his dad is in there. Jamie's dad, that is. And is ripping him a new one over Jamie not scoring the winning goal, overtaking the pass, as we see that some of the things that Jamie has told us before about his dad didn't give us a full picture of how physically and emotionally abusive this son of a bitch is. And this may be... You know, having just watched Richmond lose, seeing this, though, one of the more unpleasant, harder-hitting moments, possibly the whole season. Really not good. Really tough to watch. It's a rough thing to say. The team, though, back in the locker room, with, notably, Rebecca and Higgins already there with them. Rebecca is sitting with the team. Shout out, Rebecca. Absolutely. Higgins, of course. Higgins has always been with the team. Leslie. As we learn later, you're jumping the gun. They're dispirited. Ted tries to boost them up that they gave the champion team hell, a hard 90 minutes. He compliments Zorro about having more saves than a Baptist preacher. I love that I love that way of putting it. Do you have and the gives, whole quote here from Ted? Please, if you got it. Uh, if you got it, I, I don't want to step on No, no, go on. Okay, I just think this is really important because this, um, I don't know, I, I, I really, really felt affected by this quote. Give um, it to us, man. Yeah, I just thought it was really, really powerful. Now, look, this is a sad moment right here for all of us. And there ain't nothing I can say standing in front of you right now that can take that away. But please, do me this favor, will you? Lift your head up and look around this locker room. Yeah? Look at everybody else in here. And I want you to be grateful that you're going through this sad moment with all these folks. Because I promise you, there's something out there worse than being sad. And that is being alone and being sad. Ain't nobody in this room alone. Man, so good. You know, it's I talked about this last episode. Is they give you lines sometimes that it's not. It's not because Richmond lost. I, you know, whatever Richmond lost. You know, I'm not that invested in in the narrative here. But that line, I think, um, will remind you of every fucking painful moment you've ever had in your life. I mean, it could be really powerful for this silly little thirty minute show. So shout out to the writers. I thought it was really good. It's excellent grief counseling. It's something you really hope your coach would tell you in these kind of moments. Hope your counselor or whoever else would tell you in these kind of moments. It's wonderful. And I'm actually going to say how much I really liked the plot that they did this shift at the end. Because it would have been so easy for the team to tie or win. To stay in the Premier League. The fact they're going this different route, it sets up such a beautiful arc for these seasons. Even if it feels a little pre-planned right now. Because it is. That I really appreciate it. This show is willing to be enjoyable and optimistic and upbeat while also being realistic at the same time. And it's a hard line to walk, but they pull it off. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I promise you there is something out there worse than being sad. And that is being alone and being such a sad. Great line. Man, put it on a t-shirt. 
Well, I actually don't. That's kind of a bummer, but I don't know. Put it somewhere. Uh, Ted has further advice, though, and pulls Sam back into it. <laughs> yeah, this is, you hate this. I can't believe they went back to this line. You it's not true, them. but it's a great line. You disabused them of this notion in a previous episode. Lee, according to Ted, what's the animal with the shortest memory? That'd be a goldfish, coach. So, what should we be after this? Well, let's be sad. Let's be sad together. And then we can be a gosh darn goldfish. Onward and forward. It's another great wrap-up of a line right there. And we exit the locker room. The team is dispirited. They're sad. They're angry. But they're together in a way that they've been building to all season. It's a great moment, even if it's a sad one. Meanwhile, Beard stops uh, stops Jamie as Jamie's getting on the bus with flares going in the background as Man City fans, I guess, are celebrating. And he gives him a letter from Ted. Jamie looks confused, even a little bit annoyed. But when he gets on the bus, but he does keep the letter. I was worried he was going to toss it for a second there. Gets on the bus, opens it up, and it's congratulations from Ted for that extra pass. And included inside the letter is a little army man. I have a question for you. Yeah. Is this your favorite part of the episode? It's a really great moment. This, this really. It just feels like a Spencer moment. This feels it's like one you'd really moment. like. Yeah. I, I really love the actor who plays Jamie. He does a great job with being an, an asshole that is still sympathetic. And this yeah. moment, he sells it beautifully for how much this affects him. Yep, I agree. Preach. Because uh, he mocked these before. He saw the army man. He saw when Sam got one, and he just laughed at it. Dismissed it. And now that he's got one for himself... One of the reasons it's fun to see with Jamie here that when he sees Ted act fatherly towards him, when he sees Ted, you know, give him legitimate advice, he assumes it's a trick. He assumes that Ted has some ulterior motive. Yep. And that's so clearly driven from his own father issues, from his own expectations about what his dad is always just coming to him to get something, to want something for his own benefit. Yep. It's sad to see him have those preconceptions about Ted just because of that emotional baggage. And so to see him have that kind of father-son moment here at the end of this episode a coach player moment that he's never really had before or been willing to accept before and seeing it affect him these are the moments on this show i live for i thought you'd really like that one i mean especially the army yeah. man thing because you i mean remember when he gave the army man to rebecca i thought you liked that one too i adored that yeah i even liked it when he gave it to sam and sam gave it back it was still a great scene mm -hmm. uh next day ted walks in on rebecca and higgins as you noted leslie higgins because he is uh, he's a feminine junior. Is that a thing? I've never heard that before. Uh, no, I never heard of that before. It's a term now. We accept it. Well done, Leslie Higgins. Feminine junior. He gives Ted a handshake, like Ted's possibly going to the gallows, like maybe mm -hmm. one of the last times they see each other. Yep. And walks out. And Rebe Rebecca invites him to sit down and offers him tea. Did you, ca did you catch what Rebecca told Higgins before Ted walked in? Something like, I'll tell him or something like that. We'll have a conversation about that. Yeah. it's We don't know what's going to happen right now. We have all reason to believe potentially that like Ted, he's the Ted experiment may be over. Except that I spoiled it in the last episode. <laughs> yeah, bastard. Yeah, bastard. All of our poor fan base who did Never watch seen it before. They <laughs> committed to watching it on our odd schedule of releasing <laughs> episodes. poor dedicated fools. Uh, Ted again refuses tea, of course, but asks her for water. Notably, doesn't ask or check what kind of water it is. <sighs> Come on, Ted. You gotta, you gotta check that. Uh, and immediately offers to resign. That he's not going to make her go through the process of firing him. That he has prepared a letter of resignation. Did you note what the letter of resignation is? 
Yeah, isn't it on a, t- on a takeout menu? It is on a takeout menu, but in the words of Ted, it's in an envelope and signed, so that makes it legit. There you go. This is such a not... This is such a college coach, not even a top-level college coach, that this is his way of doing this. Uh, Rebecca, though, refuses. There is work to be done next season, because teams can get promoted. And next year, as the Ted and she discuss, they're going to get that promotion, they're going to make it back into the Premier League, and then they're going to do what nobody expects. They're going to win the whole thing. They cheers... As you note, they basically likely set out what our anticipations of the plot will be for the next three seasons. Next two. I'll say this season's not done to cover up the fact I was obviously wrong there. Uh (laughs) Got me. Yeah, I got you right there. You got no response to that. Uh, As said, they clink glasses, Ted takes a sip, and it being bubbly water, he spits it all up all over Rebecca's face. Okay, pause. Call back to episode one. Yes. Go ahead. Just do, do your rant here. I, you had such a great scene. You had such a great emotional moments, and you end on a little literal spit take gag. This is like ending on a fart joke when you've done emotional theater before. Then why? Because this feels unnecessary. Because this is still the same show that gave you seven dairy puns in the period of eight minutes. Like <clears throat> you got I like didn't I know like it there you, either. You like to ignore certain parts of this show, but that it is at its heart absurd so they're not going to go away from that so i i i get what you're saying it, it totally it was a bit shocking but i know i can i understand why they did it because they were like i think they're still like going for that like every time it starts to get real serious ted's gonna make some sort of like fart joke or something okay again i love the creator bill lawrence of the show i loved scrubs my favorite episodes were the sad dramatic ones and the inspiration for scrubs mash my favorite episodes were the sad dramatic ones I love com- I love dramedies, but I tend to like the drama side more than I like the comedy. Yeah, and I like the comedy side better usually. Although the the drama side in this episode did get me teary eyed. There's two there's two moments with Roy. The one where he walks off, and they're all singing his song, and then the second one with Keely in the in the locker room. Definitely definitely cry moments for me. Those are those are really affecting. Well, the episode ends with the famous French song, and I can't pronounce French, so I'm not going to do it. But it's by Edith Piaf, uh, and it's. In English, no, I regret nothing. We, you've heard this song many times before, including particularly from Inception, I believe. And hmm. the episode. I didn't watch that. I just dreamed end. about it. You hurt me, sir. You hurt Did me you very see, much. You see the joke? I, you see the joke I told there? <laughs> I never saw it. I People that have been dead and buried for a hundred years saw that one coming, man. Pretty good, huh? All right, Spencer, you did the recap. All recaps done on season one. You have you have barreled through, and I gotta say, uh, I like this. I like this. You doing the recap, me just jumping in on all of our previous pods that we have done reviews. I've always done the recap. I like the switcheroo. I think this has gone great. Thank you for doing it. Happy to do it. I will continue to do it with Ted Lasso with your permission and nothing else. You will handle all other shows that we ever do. It is a lot of work, uh, and I do appreciate that. All right, let's move into our wrapping up segments here on on episode ten, the finale of season one. I think we should go into our train wreck of the episode. Uh, can I offer a nomination? Fire away. Jamie's dad is a parent. For sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it seems like the strongest choice for me. For, even with Richmond losing, they still found a way to make a win out of it in their own way. Jamie's dad, on the other hand, is a vile, despicable son of a bitch that has nothing redeeming about him other than it has set Jamie up for an impressive arc over the course of this series. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the the train wreck of the episode is a is a bit that you do probably in the front half of all of these seasons because when they start getting serious, wrapping up plot lines and stuff, there's not as many like complete like just meltdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where I was coming from. There hasn't really been a like a good solid Ted Lasso character meltdown in like two or three episodes. I agree with you. His dad's a piece of shit. I think that you could uh, you could probably say Richmond, uh, you know, because they lost, they were relegated. They did, yeah, um, yeah, but not not a real good nominee for train wreck of the episode. But I predict when we're with you next week and we are reviewing episode <laughs> one of season two, there will be a good solid train wreck. I predict that. All right, let's Absolutely. get to the Sports Center Top 10, where we review 10, 10 on the nose, only 10, never more, nevertheless, things that we like about the episode. Spencer, do you have something that you liked about the episode? Rebecca fully 100% becoming part of the team. We got to see her in the locker room. We got to see her down there to celebrate for Nate. We got to see her to commiserate with the team afterwards. We got to see her cheering in the stands legitimately. She is a member of this team in a way that she's been working towards all season, and it's heartwarming to finally see it happen. Okay, mine is, there was a reference to the White Cliffs of Dover. Now, I really enjoyed this reference because most of Ted's references make it perfectly clear that he is from America. (laughs) He does not do a lot of British references, but this is a British reference. It's part of the North Downs formation in the region of the English coastline facing the Strait of Dover and France. Little known fact, I mean, little known, I mean, you get on the Wikipedia, but I had never heard it before. On a clear day, um, they're visible. They're visible from the French coast, so you can actually see the White Cliffs of Dover from France on a on a clear day. And that's not a Sarah Palin line about you know seeing Russia from your backyard. That's a real. <laughs> it thing. is true. It's it a is real true. thing. Uh, next one for me: uh, seeing a proper American football play with calls play out successfully in British football. It was fun to see it happen. It worked off without a hitch. Imagine it's not something you can play every game and have it work, but still here, it was beautiful. I'm a big fan of trick plays. I love when they work. I like it even more when they don't, because oftentimes the team just looks really silly. Um, Okay, Spencer, do you believe in miracles? Did that ring a bell? It did. I could not place it, and I did not look it up, though. That is from the U.S. beating the Soviet Union 4-3 to at the 1980 Winter Games at Lake Placid. Who was on the call? My number one sport announcer of all time, put it on the big board, number one with a bullet, Al Michaels, made the call. A young Al Michaels who's still calling games to this day made the call. As time expired, do you believe in miracles? One of the best sport calls of all time. How old is he now? Oh, he's in his 70s, but man, he is super sharp. He still crushes it. And he's better. Like I, I, watched, I watched just enough NFL to be able to tell you he's better than any other NFL announcer we have. Al Michaels, sharp guy. Yeah, he made the call. 1980 Winter Games. All right, I think that's all. That's all for me. I got one more, um, mushy peas. Um, so I always like to speak to the Americans out there. Uh, mushy peas are basically mashed potatoes with peas. So what they do is they boil They're great. They boil some peas and then they they add in like the the butter and the milk. The same thing you would normally do with mashed potatoes. I will tell you, take it easy on the milk because they're already pretty. Uh, they have a lot of water in in peas. They already already have a lot of liquid in them. Um, and they are delicious. I, I don't, wonderful. Here's, here's what I don't understand. I, I think you're right here with me. 
is we constantly get references to how British food is crappy. First off, British food is not crappy. It's two, not, it's a lot of great no, food. it's really good. And two, we all the the quintessential like thing that sucks about British food we always hear is mushy peas. I guess it's because the name mushy doesn't sound good. Wait, but but mushy peas are great. I feel like one of the main reasons British food gets shit on is one, think about who's doing the shitting. It's the French and the Italians and the rest of continental Europe who already all find other reasons to shit on the UK anyway, so it's not that surprising. And two, the British kind of do suck at food presentation. And mushy peas by both name and appearance doesn't always look the most appetizing, even if it's great. Yeah, I mean, a lot of British food is, is pretty pedestrian, but it always tastes really fucking oh, good. Yeah. Shepherd's Pie, good stuff. Yeah, shepherd's pie, bangers and mash. I mean, fish and chips. They got some great stuff. But mushy peas, put it on the list. It's very, very good. If you haven't had it before, you can make it right in your home. Get some frozen peas, boil them, make them like you'd make mashed potatoes. Here is something I'd like to tell you about mushy peas. They are traditionally made from marrow fat peas. Hmm. And marrow fat peas are the same peas they used to make wasabi. Really? Yep. There you go. I had no clue about that. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. I'm here for you. All right. I think that's 10 on the nose. We wrapped up the Sports Center top 10 on the finale of season one. Let's go into our concluding segment here for season one, Ted's Life Lessons. Whoo! No pressure. Got it. Got uh, to stick the landing here. I'm going to note, I'm going to give you a time limit on this, given the sheer number of them you likely have. You've got 10 minutes. Go. I only got, only got three. Oh, really? I think we're just going to repeat the entire episode at this point. No, just just three. Um, and I tried not to do the obvious ones because we, we kind of touched on those as we went, right? I mean, I did the long Ted quote about how, um, you know, it, the only thing worse than being sad is being sad alone, right? This is true. Uh, Tari talked about that. So these are ones we kind of hadn't talked about before. One, again, I'm starting to get more practical with the Ted's life lessons. Just uh, something from Uncle Lee out here to the kids. Um, Going to sound trite here, but it's very, very important. Don't take your eye off the ball. <laughs> Good in any context. That is sound advice in any moment in your life, regardless of where you are and what you're doing. You got to run through the tape in life. You have to see things through the finish. You cannot take your eye off the ball. That's very, very important. Whether it be a sporting event, whether it be... Um, a real estate deal or whether it be just, you know, clocking in and clocking out of work. Don't take your eye off the ball. Uh, my next one is a quote that they jammed in there. And, you know, you kind of breezed by it. I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this quote. Every disadvantage has its advantage. I think, yeah. I think some people could say that's complete and utter bullshit. And I think other people could say it's brilliant. Okay. You, a hand raised on the first one. Spencer thinks it's bullshit. I'm, I'm here to represent the two, the two polls of this because I'm assuming you're going to endorse it as it was legitimate, legitimately good advice. Yeah, okay. All right. All right, counsel. Uh, opening, opening statements on why it should. Uh, it's obviously provably not true. There are disadvantages that are utterly crippling. You can say they give you a different perspective on life or whatever else, but saying that those advantages in any way equal the disadvantages is willfully misleading and ignoring legitimate difficulties that people have in certain contexts or certain places in life. Um, I, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... I would say that most people who have disabilities, I think you're probably thinking about people with disabilities, right? I think most of them would tell you that they, um, that there has been some benefits to having that disability and not, not that it's on the whole the best, but there has been some benefits. I would like to tweak the quote and see if it could be read into the record and you could, uh, you could accept it. Um, go, go on counselor. I'll allow it this time. Yeah. Uh, within every disadvantage, look for an advantage. Yes, I will endorse that fully. I'll even ins I'll, I'll even endorse the idea that there can be advantages from disadvantages, but do I say they're at equal equivalence and they're always there? It's the no. word every, I think, that bugs you. 
and I, and yeah, I can understand that. But I think that I think the intent here is that if you have something that's a disadvantage to you, you know, you get you just get dealt a crappy hand. Something in your life is not what you want it to be. Try to find the advantage in it. You may not be able to find it, but it's it's a good exercise to go through because I, I've done this in my life before. Not to get too sappy, but like I've had some things happen to me or some things about me that I just don't love. I'm, I feel like is a disadvantage, and I've been able to. Uh, at times, I'm not perfect about it, uh, get a different perspective and try to look at it through a like, okay, well, what can I get out of this? What advantage can I see out of this? Uh, sometimes that's internal uh, uh, and that's okay too. But can I you, think that's a really important one. Can you get Dutch football on the phone? Because your quote is so much better than theirs. They need to learn and improve from this. They need to see, they need to look into the disadvantages of their mistakes here and find the advantage of endorsing your way of looking at it yeah i think that's the intent right like a lot of quotes and like you've run across a lot of these quotes you're like ah, i know what you're trying to say but you didn't really say it right um like like ted like just like last episode right with, with the thing of like wins and losses aren't how you judge wins and losses it's like ah, i know what you're trying to say but maybe not don't adhere to that 100 percent. all right here's the last one spencer mm-hmm. dance with the one that brought you that's a life lesson. <sighs> Stick with your guys. Uh, Stick with your guys. Yeah. It happens over and over again throughout the season. It happens two very predominant ways in this episode. One is when Ted puts Roy back into the game. He's dancing with the one that brought him. He's sticking with his guys. Roy makes a big play, saves a goal, um, gives them a chance to win. They don't win, but he gave them a chance because Jamie didn't run the score up on him. And then the very last scene before the spit take, which you love so much, Rebecca sticking with the man who, who brought her, right? Sticking with her coach. And, and, and staying with you guys. There's something to be said about loyalty. I like it. Well said, sir. Well said. There you go. There's Ted's Life Lessons. We have wrapped up our coverage of episode 10. We have wrapped up our coverage of season one. Spencer, I would like to, um, I'm throwing this on you cold. So if you, if you want me to go first, I can. But okay. I want to know your concluding thoughts about season one and where we are heading into season two and kind of what you anticipate. It's, such, I mean, this show was such just, fire in a bottle. It was so unexpected. I gave it no anticipation at all. I had l very little regard for it and its origins. And it just hit such a perfect note that people needed at a given time. It magically brings the kind of optimism that you just so rarely see in day-to-day -day life, particularly on television, that is just great. And it's well-done dramedy in a way I've not seen in years. It is a wonderful show. I very much enjoy it. It's made some of my favorite characters and character moments of the course of the last couple of years. And it just leaves me to wonder, with such a magically well-done first season occurring at the perfect time for people to appreciate it as much as they did, how can the second season capture that kind of magic once more? I have a prediction that you're not going to think it does. <laughs> it's me we're talking about. You're going out on a limb for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, I, I thought you're lightning in a bottle. Very, very good way to exp explain this show, Spencer. That's really good. I mean, when you when you pitched this, you were like, hey, um, you know, we were just wrapping up our coverage of the Nevers. You can find that on the Nevers More podcast, HBO show. Um, very different type of show, right? It's a fantasy show, very oh, complex yeah. in the narrative. Um, lots to unpack. Our episodes were like two and a half hours trying to explain that show, not to try to get you to not listen. I mean, you know, listen, listen in, uh, you know, 30 minute increments. Um, but I will say that when you pitched this, I was like, wow, that's a, that's kind of a strange thing. Bit of a and, swerve. I, and I kind of thought like maybe, maybe you were just trying to like, um, 
I haven't even talked to you about this. I thought maybe you were just trying to be like, let's just do something easy. Like, I don't want to work too hard on this, right? Like, I thought maybe that's what you were doing. Because, I mean, the Nevers, we were doing a lot of work on that show. Oh, Game yeah. of Thrones, a lot of work on that show. Um, all, all, you know, The Mandalorian, same deal. Um, and then I watched it and I realized, no, no, there's something special about this show. I agree with you that it's going to be really tough for them going into season two because people have such a fond uh, memory of when they watched season one of this show and, and what it what it was able to capture and the, how it was just so different than anything else they had watched recently. I think what you're going to get in season two is they're going to play it safe. You're going to get a lot of the similar stuff that you got in season one. I think you're going to get people saying that it gets a little bit stale. That's my prediction. But I predict that I will love it because I, I like catnip stuff like that when they when they just kind of feed me more of the same. Are you suggesting, Lee, that you believe? I believe and believe. I will try. I will try. I will try to believe. All right. One to ten. What do you rate this season? This season? Wow. 8.5. Okay, I give it a nine point five as usual. I curve higher, but yeah, I, I both I think higher than any season of television we've ever reviewed that we've ever ever given a score to. So, which is said, we've done some great shows. I mean, I would probably rank Chernobyl. Of the shows we've watched, Chernobyl would probably rank higher than this, just for the sheer you know historical moment kind of show that it was. But for raw enjoyment, man, this is a great show, and it's up there high. Yeah, if you want to listen to our coverage of HBO Chernobyl, I think it was a six-part miniseries that's over on the podcast feed, Mangum Talks. We really enjoyed that one. That one got a lot of listens. A lot of people, a lot of people really enjoyed Chernobyl. But I don't know. To me, this is one of the best shows that we've done. I'm really excited for season two. High bar they've set, but you know, even if they don't meet it, I still think I'll enjoy it. Okay. Absolutely. All right. I've enjoyed this, Spencer. Thank you for plugging through for barreling through for doing it podcast professionals that we are all the way through season one we will be back with you in just a couple days for season two until then if you're enjoying this podcast please subscribe rate and review we really appreciate that and we will talk to you once we've all seen the prepare season two see you